0: Thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I have Katherine Raven on the show with me. She has an amazing new book. It's called Fox and I, An Uncommon Friendship. This is one of the most unique books um, that I've read all year. And I know you're going to love it as much as I have. Uh, it's available everywhere now. Uh, when you're hearing this, you can go grab it at your local bookstore or grab it from Amazon, uh, wherever you like to to get books from. Fox and I, this will be a book uh, that you will not regret having and you'll want to share it with everyone. Welcome to the show, Catherine.
1: Uh, thank you. You are very welcome to my time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Catherine, we begin each show with the same question, and that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller?
1: Well, I have to blame it all on JRR Tolkien and the Hobbit and I was very young when I started reading that book the librarian or maybe the teacher in my first grade class I still remember her name handed me this hardback book it was so huge in my little hand and I I still remember the cover it was white and black and green very uh, simple and a very big book and I fell right into that book. I think if you've read The Hobbit, you know what I mean. It's just a complete universe that just surrounds you and coddles you and protects you. And I am still in love with that voice, that third-person voice that so few people do anymore, but J.R.R. Tolkien wrote in third person, but not like a god above you, But third person and then still your friend. Every once in a while, he switches over to the second person. It's sort of a familial third person, and it's very difficult to do. And he's one of the few writers that can get away with writing about clouds. I hope I can get away with it, too, because I live in big sky country. So a shout out to The Hobbit if you haven't read it. It's not too late.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, um, Catherine. In more than a thousand episodes of this uh, show that we've done, um, more than a few people have have cited The Hobbit and and Tolkien as uh, as early influences. And and it doesn't matter who the author I'm talking to or what genre they write in. Um, so many people um have been influenced by by Tolkien and those early stories. Um, it, it, it's It's really unique to me, and I find that fascinating that um, that 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 book uh, and and that author specifically have had such a wide-ranging and wide-reaching influence. Um, what do you think it is about the types of stories? Um, the, the fantasy stories, the, the stories about a, a world that is uh, maybe lost and gone and that, that we are, are longing for in, inside in some way. What, what, do you, what do you attribute that influence to?
1: Well, there's a couple of things. Keep in mind that we read these books when we were children and that they were books aimed for children and. And I think, I hope people will feel like, uh, and thanks to the Fox, perhaps, I have also wanted to keep that childlike view of the world. I haven't wanted to be the jaded person, the bitter person, the look at all these awful things I fought my way through to get here. I've I've not wanted to be that person. I've wanted to throw all that aside and try to because that's that's where I was happy and that's what I loved. And I think too many of us have this big break, this huge break between childhood, childhood books and then adult books, and we forget about that imagination and that whimsy that 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 we looked at the world with those eyes um I also of course like Alice in Wonderland and that same kind of um and the books of Narnia of course C S Lewis's books it's that, that that wonder that belief and I've also given a lot of thought to why Tolkien and the Hobbit was so influential and yet today as an adult for many, many decades, I just never touch fantasy. I just don't read it at all. It's a genre that doesn't do anything for me. So why did that genre matter? Well, because in those days, it wasn't fantasy to me when I was seven years old. I still believed in Santa Claus. So I didn't really separate a fantasy world from a real world. (laughs) So I didn't really think of The Hobbit as fantasy it was my world I, the book took so long for a little child to read that it just became part of of your world for a year you were just like stepped into that universe so i think that that's one thing i hope people will get out of the fox is a reinvigoration or a revisitation to their childhood days of whimsy and observation Uh, Of the world. And one of the themes in The Fox and I is imagination and the important role of imagination because I have to re energize my imagination in order to stop thinking completely and only as a scientist so that I can really relate to other animals in the way that I need to relate to them and stop thinking that they are just a bunch of numbers and data and uh, and what the science tells us about them. And so I think that imagination is really an important thing that a lot of adults have set aside. Um, there's a line, I think, in my book, and I don't remember the chapter when I'm talking about myself kind of having the little argument with the artist because he had drawn the swans incorrectly. <laughs> <laughs> and I was with my students at the Museum of Wildlife Art in Jackson I had been talking to them about the difference between a mute swan and a uh, your a trumpeter swan. And the artist had the beak color wrong, actually. And so I went out to, to talk to him about that to show off in front of my students since I had a PhD and the artist didn't. And when I <laughs> finished talking to the artist, he said to me, actually, um, those are trumpeter swans in my painting, but they're very vain and they're pretending to be mute swans. And uh, everybody laughed and I was very mad and I stormed off. But later I realized that he, that he was right. I need to have a little bit more imagination. And I told uh, my, I realized that um, a lack of imagination is not, it's not a career choice. It is a personality crisis. And I still believe that you can't lose your imagination just because you're a biologist. It's not a matter of the career you go into. Lack of imagination is absolutely a personality crisis. And I think that people need to have imagination or, in other words, don't think that all of your knowledge of the world has to be based on science. There are some questions that science doesn't answer. So use your imagination, or perhaps you want to call it your instincts or your gut feelings, and those are going to be correct. And if whether or not they're correct, they're a source of knowledge, because science can't answer every uh, question. Science sheds an extremely bright light on the world and we need that light but it's laser focused so even though it's a bright light of science it only illuminates a very small area then there's the whole rest of the world that you can't depend on science to interpret for you and the whether or not fox had a personality and the depth of his character that's not something i could have relied on science for so i had to start using my imagination a little bit more, when I go to the Museum of Wildlife Art now, and I go every year in Jackson with my students, and I look at the coyote that somebody has painted purple, I don't get indignant and think, why are we painting purple coyotes? I try to understand that the author, the painter, is trying to show us the personality of a coyote, what that coyote is feeling, that the coyote has a character. He's not just trying to stick with an actual realistic depiction of a, of a coyote and i think um imagination is important for us as we interpret the world and i hope people don't lose that i hope people revisit that their imagination
0: the uh well, first off um what what was it that initially drew you uh to have this love for the natural world can can you place in it you know any um uh can you put your finger on any specific thing or is it just kind of always this longing that you had
1: i think that it has been an always sort of a situation but i do remember uh, wanting to be outside all the time. And I don't come from a family of people who are outdoor types people. But I remember even when I was young, sitting, uh, opening the window and climbing out and sitting on the roof, I loved being outside that much. And I liked getting into the woods and finding little tiny wildflowers. And I remember when new houses would start to be built, how crushed I would feel, even as a young person, that sense of humans coming in and paving over a wild area, even though in a suburb, I suppose it's only really semi-wild. So I do think um, that deep inside us, we are country mice or we are city mice.
0: Looking for a tool to help you visualize your story before the drafting begins? PlotPens is cloud-based and optimized for any device. There's nothing to download. From the new writer who isn't sure how to tell their story to the veteran who can increase their productivity dramatically, we've had experienced writers lay out a detailed structure for several novels in a series in a matter of a few days. The app takes you through four steps of the process, the concept or log line, Make sure you have a solid concept that you can keep coming back to throughout the process. The outline, 12 beats and 3 acts. Each has a description of what should be happening with examples. The board, 40 cards. We take the 12 beats and add sub-beats to those, breaking it down even further and being very specific about what should go into each. These also have examples and descriptions. Write. We take those 40 cards and turn them into a to-do list. For a 50,000-word book, it's about two cards per chapter, roughly. We have a beautiful editor built into the app. You can export your manuscript to a PDF anytime with the click of a button. Let Pins help you visualize your writing project. Use code HANK10 to get 10% off Pins. Plot Plotpins.com. Authors, I have a fantastic new service to tell you about. It's called PubSite. PubSite is a service to help you build your very own website, your home on the web, where you can promote your work and give your fans a place to connect with you. PubSite is a website platform that allows every author, regardless of budget, to have a great looking professional website developed by the book marketing professionals at FSB Associates. PubSite is the new easy to use DIY website builder developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 20 or a small publisher, PubSite allows you to build, design, and most importantly, update your website pain free. No need to be dependent on a designer or webmaster to make a small but costly change to your website save the money and do it yourself. PubSite is the best platform for authors because it's a book centric platform. PubSite was built just for authors and small publishers. Every design feature and layout is book centric. They have customized designs for you to use. It's easy to build no coding or HTML is necessary to create a stunning, professional looking website with all the features you want. Get a custom the, domain uh, name the title yourname.com. Your and, um, it's simple to I, update, I go you can add all of, all of your books, of you got, add a blog um, and a book tour, kind of just, sell to from any retailer, that, uh, manage your email list and the, social the, the media, books, and really, even do you know, e-commerce. Build your Didn't website with a 14-day free trial, then with, pay just $19.99 um, per month, did, which includes hosting, your and your we offer and packages starting you at $499 that, um, to set up the website for you. Fox was going to be site.com, your the place to help authors find their well, home on the web.
1: The story—I'll start with the second part of the question. The story really is for. So I didn't really realize that I was going to write the story until I realized how important of a role he was playing in my life and what an important character he was. And I realized that he had a purpose in life and I didn't at that time. And so we were very different. Human beings are supposed to be the ones that have this urge to leave a legacy. Animals yeah. aren't supposed to have an urge to leave a legacy. But I didn't feel like leaving a legacy. I never felt that urge. But I really thought he did. I thought that was one of the reasons why he was hanging around with me. He wanted to matter. He didn't want to be just another fox on the rocks. He really wanted to be something. And I decided to write about Fox. So the book started uh, after I had been with him for, for well over a year visiting every single day. And that was the, that was really the impetus for the book. And of course it's dedicated to Fox. We met because I was sitting outside with a big housefly on my knee and I always have scabby knees. And so the fly was playing with the scab and the blood and I was, fascinated. Well, first I was trying to get it off the scab. So I was sort of swooshing it and it would come back and I would swoosh it and it would come back. And then I just started staring at the fly. It was so amazing the way it was sort of picking up the blood and swirling it around. And I looked up and realized this fox was only a couple feet away from me and was staring right at the fly, wasn't looking at me at all. He was just obsessed with the same housefly that I was obsessed with. And then he looked at me. I said, Fox. And he put his nose down towards the ground. When he did that, you see his snout would have been in the way of us seeing eye to eye. When he put his snout down, and because I was sitting on the steps, our eyes were the same height from the ground and the same width apart. So we were really just looking eye to eye close enough for him to have attacked me, close enough for me to have strangled him. <laughs> and we just <laughs> stared at each other from eye to eye. And that lasted a very long time. And and that is, we became uh, destined, I think, at that point. Of course, I fought with it for a long time, because what kind of a reasonable human being wants to have a fox as a friend? But it worked because I think he just dogged me around, and he was determined, and he could see that I was pretty practical. He could see that I had big tools that I played with outside. It didn't seem like playing to me. I was doing terrible, difficult gardening work. But he realized that I had these hands and these big tools, and he knew I hated feral cats because he could see me chasing them away. So here I was, another enemy of feral cats. They're big enemies of foxes. And I chased dogs away from him. So I protected him. He realized I was a pretty valuable asset as a friend, and he was going to latch on to me. Of course, it's good to have friends, right? For all of us,
0: right, <laughs> right. Um, as as a scientist um, and, and as someone with a PhD, for for goodness' sakes, um, you are taught to to never anthropomorphize uh, animals and never to to project your human traits. Onto um, another member of the natural world. Um, but as a storyteller and as someone who, who loved fables and, and fantasy stories, um, I, I'm sure that Fox took on human characteristics and traits uh, at some point. and And you started to connect with him in ways that, um, you know that our scientific selves tell us is is not appropriate to. Um, w- when did when did you start developing a, a relationship with fox for for lack of a better term?
1: Well, he started coming by every day, and I wanted it, it, I didn't the relationship as someone who as an individual, had a personality, didn't develop them. I thought he had mange. I mean, it certainly looked like he did. So I felt that it was my responsibility and certainly not out of character with any scientist to want to get an animal closer in so you can examine it and maybe treat it. I I was prepared to give him, I was giving him, in fact, treatments for um, mange. And so it, it wasn't anything out of the ordinary But after that, in order to get him close, I had to think of things to do. And so that led me to believe that he had a personality. And the first thing I did to get him close was to play this game of show and tell. That was just instinct on my part because I was wearing a field vest that was filled with all kinds of trinkets, feathers, geodes, little natural items and and shells, I guess, from my... um, OT six or brass, also, and I put them down on the wood steps and tapped them, talked a little bit about them. Little seeds, I like to collect pretty seeds, things like that, maple seeds, and uh, I put them on the steps. And then I noticed he was very interested in those, and that I was able to keep him around. Every day, for a long time, just sharing my trinkets. So you start to believe that this animal is interested in aesthetics somehow. I mean, they they weren't edible things. It wasn't food items, but he was interested in them. But that got boring after a while. And so I decided I would read to him. I don't have very many books in the house. That are appropriate. He doesn't have a huge attention span. He's just a box. <laughs> and so I grabbed the little prints to start. And as I started reading to him, I would read and and then I would paraphrase too, of course, and I would hold up the pictures from time to time and he would look. I mean, he he realized that when I was looking down away from him at the book, I wasn't um, trying to make contact with him. Then I would hold the picture up. He would look at it, and then I would wait, and I would count to 15, in- including all those thousands pauses in the middle. So that's quite a long pause, one, 1,000, all the way to 15, and I would wait and look at him as though it was his turn to talk, a- as though I was mimicking an actual real conversation that I would have with a student. Because I always wait fifteen seconds for a student. I don't I'm not one of those professors who asks a question and then immediately <laughs> gives them the answer or goes on, don't you hate those professors and then goes on to somebody else, the smarty pants in the class. So I always count when I ask a student. So I counted and stared, and I could see that he knew we were relating to each other. He did he did it. Perfectly after a while. So he would he would wait. He would stare at me. He knew that that was me looking at him, seeing what he was up to. He was sitting. And then I would go back to reading, skipping through pages, seeing what was going on. But I would read out loud. And then I would paraphrase. So sometimes when I was paraphrasing, I would stare right at him. And I, at that point, that was the beginning of me starting to question this concept of anthropomorphism and whether it is really based on assumptions that are correct or that are valid. I mean, can we really assume that we know which traits should only belong to humans? And I don't think we really do do know which traits only belong to humans. I think there are some traits that we consider uh, to be only for us, and yet other animals share those traits. I don't think we are as separate from other animals as we have chosen to believe. And I think those walls are going to start coming down soon, and we're going to start realizing that anthropomorphism is really based on a Assumptions that are that we really can't support right now, the, the belief that we know which traits only humans can demonstrate.
0: So, Catherine, at, through these interactions uh, with Fox and this, the 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 things that you learned uh, about him and, and your relationship with him, at what point did you realize that this was uh, was a story that that you needed to record?
1: I think from talking to, eventually talking to my students about it, I knew I had to write about him, but it was going to be more encyclopedic kind of writing rather than an actual story with a beginning and a middle and an ending. And then I got up the guts to start talking to my students. It took a really long time because I was hiding this. I had to practice saying my best friend is a wild red fox. And then um, that didn't go over well. I practiced it a lot. But then when I finally blurted it out, at apparently the wrong time, then there really isn't any right time is there to say, when you're a wildlife professor and you're saying, my best friend is a wild red fox. Because, and then they know of course, that you have no other friends. Because who would have a best friend as a fox if you had any other friend. So it's obvious now that I have no friends except the fox. So that didn't go over well. But a few people started talking to me and showing interest. And I realized how many other people had similar stories from their past that they had been afraid to tell people about animals that they had let slip through their fingers. They almost thought maybe that deer at their aunt's summer house, maybe that deer wanted to connect with them, but they couldn't, but no, no, no. And they walked away and they remembered that one fox and they walked away. And so I think that I started to realize it was a story, but it wasn't until, of course, after a few years when it was all over that I could see the beginning and the middle of the end because the ending Um, has to do with me as much as the fox. And I didn't know that. I remember telling one of the professors at the University of Montana that I was writing this story about fox. And I uh, told her a little bit about, I gave her a little bit to read. And she said, this actually isn't a story about Fox, it's a story about you. It's first person and it's true, and that makes it a memoir. And it took me a long, long, long time after she said that, because I had a lot of respect for her, she's a very good writer, to figure out how it could be a story about me. It was easy for me to figure out how it was a story about Fox, but it was very difficult for me to figure out how it was a story about me. I'm not the kind of person who really planned to put myself out there in the world. He was that was one of the ways that he and I were very different from each other.
0: So when you started recording it and and realizing that that it was a story and that that uh, that it was as much about you as it was about him, um, how did you go about kind of collecting all those thoughts and finding the narrative thread that would run through this?
1: I think that storytelling comes pretty naturally to me, the beginning, the middle and the ending. And I think it's because I've been teaching for such a long time. And even though I teach ecology and biology and to undergraduates and graduate students, when they're writing their papers, when I'm asking them a question that I want a long answer to, I always say, tell me a story. I always preface my assignments that way or when they're struggling, to give me the information I want so I can make sure they understand the concept, I always preface it by saying, tell me a story. Tell me a story about how this weed changed the fire regime in this area, always. And so I've been teaching my students to tell stories. I've been looking at their papers to make sure they have beginning, middles, and endings. So it's so much a part of my life that I think I could easily see the beginning and the middle and the ending as soon as I realized that it had to be a story that wasn't just about uh, Fox, that it had to be our story together.
0: Fox and I is one of the most unique uh, memoirs that uh, that I've read in in quite some time. Um, when when you finished writing uh, the book, did did you reflect on uh, on on what you had learned through the process and and did the writing of it and collecting these uh, these thoughts and these experiences did 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 it you you know so often uh, the writing of something um teaches you you know almost as much as as reading something could could hope to convey um, what what did you gain personally from the recording of these stories
1: well at, in terms of the craft of writing i can tell you that what i learned personally was that i really love to write in third person That's a really wonderful, that's the way that I like to show people a character. And I know that it's seems automatic for people to use first person when you want to show someone a character. But I really fell in love with the process the more and more because of course it's memoir. So you're thinking first person. For those of you who haven't read Fox and I, of course it is mostly in first person because it's a memoir, but the Fox sections are in third person and the magpie sections and the ant sections and such, they're in third person. And I came to understand how you can write third person almost as though it's first so that you're really in the mind of an of your character of another individual so that was what i learned about craft and as far as what i learned about um just writing, the the bad news is, um, what I learned is that it is so difficult, even though stories are pretty automatic for me. I'm, I remember even giving it, when it was just in a rough draft, showing it to someone, and no one ever had a comment about the arc, as they call it. And the arc was never a problem, the the, the flow of the book. Uh, there were just, you know, grammatical things and craft things and make this longer and make this shorter. But i um, The bad news is that it's very difficult to write when you have another full-time professional job because your professional job, it's not a 40 hour a week job. You're not paid by the hour. And so we think that it's 40 hours a week, but we all know that we're always on call. And especially when you're responsible for college students and they're paying a lot of money for your time and they deserve your attention even if they need it on a Saturday afternoon. So you really do have your writing cannot come first. And I'm the kind of person who has, because imagination is so important for me, I like to have the book in my mind all the time. And you really can't do that when you've only got little teeny tiny blocks set aside for your writing. So that made it very slow and, and tedious for sure.
0: Fox and I is available everywhere. Now, when you're hearing this, you can go grab it at your local bookstore or Amazon. We'll put links to it in the show notes of this episode. Uh, Catherine, what an inventive book, and uh, we're recommending it to everyone this summer. Um, We're going to send everyone to pick up their copy. Uh, Thank you so much for taking time to come on the show.
1: Uh, You are so very welcome, and I hope I get to meet you and some readers at some face-to-face events.
0: Absolutely. Authors, if you're looking for a partner to help ensure that your book is the best it can possibly be, look no further than Pico's House. Crystal and her staff make a conscious effort to be critical yet courteous. They also strive to make the business side of things run smoothly so that you can rest easy knowing that your manuscript is in capable hands. Whether you need beta reading, developmental editing, a manuscript critique, line editing, copy editing, or proofreading, Pico's House is the one-stop shop for you. Check them out today at picoshouse.com to get started.